You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for tuning in to the weekend edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here's a highlight from a Real Visionaries episode between independent volatility trader Darren Johnson and Real Vision contributor Jason Buck discussing why trading volatility is the key to success in the market. Enjoy. The idea of, you know, people are there's a lot of times systematic short vol sellers or systematic long vol buyers. Yes. But that's not the world that you think about or a lot of times I think mm-hmm. about it in is that you want to be, you know, like price sensitive. Yes. That's what people realize. Like you want to get paid for the risk you're taking, yes. which a lot of vol sellers don't realize. Yes. And the other thing is you, you want to figure out a timing mechanism too to like to capture and monetize the risk that you are taking. Yes. So I'm more curious to like, how do you, I know you use a lot of realized vol and your own kind of metrics for realized vol and using more of timing ensemble approach to mm-hmm. realized vol. So tell me about that, how that's your primary mechanism or, or correct me if I'm wrong. That is my primary mechanism. And the reason, and there's a good reason for that. Um, I view realized vol not necessarily as an edge in itself, but it, it, it gives me a gauge on how turbulent my trade could potentially be. Right. And so like I need to know if there's choppy air ahead. Right. So if realized vol and volatility just across the board has certain stylized properties, we know it clusters in the short term and clustering. When when you say that, most people immediately think clustering doomsday. Right. But it also can cluster like where it can keep going down. It can persist going down for a really long time. Um, It reverts to a long term mean. Right. Um, So there are certain things that we know about whether it's implied or realized. But I think that with the proliferation of quant programs and financial engineering programs and so many know-it-alls on Baltwit and Fintwit, I think that so many people disparage realized volatility, right? They, they view it as, oh, that's pointless, that Garch doesn't work anymore, um, exponentially weighted moving averages, that doesn't work anymore as a forecast mechanism. Here's the thing, Jason, just because something doesn't have the superior sort of predictive ability that it had 20, 30 years ago, does not mean that we shouldn't do it, right? It doesn't mean that it's still not useful to do it. You know? And so for me, I find it very useful to gauge. And ironically, I think it's super gauged for when not to sell, right? So another thing with vol, short vol people is, um, Knowing when not to sell will, so let's just say if there, if you're doing monthly expirations and there's 12 of them in a year, if you can cut out the one or the two that will carry you out, then you've done your job, right? So the, the job is to, to have good forecasts and to keep money, keep the money that you made, hang on to it. And the way to do that is to not sell volatility in the hole, right? And how do you determine that? How do you come with that valuation process? that has to include realized volatility. It has to. Now the composite or the ensemble approach that you're talking about. So again, going back to when you teach yourself stuff, there was something that I noticed in the traditional close to close when I was going through these exercises that um, it can be very pernicious in the traditional 30, 20 day close to close, 60 day, um, in that it wasn't capturing drift well at all which would lead to another anomaly in like 2016, 2017 of, oh, you just buy these calls, right? Um, but anyways, but it, so in other words, if a stock drifted up 50 basis points every single day for a month, month and a half, whatever it is, 
there's no variance around a, a moving mean. It's just drifting. And that scared me because if I'm selling condors or I'm selling straddles or whatever, I could get blown through to the upside because of a blind spot in the formula, in the classical standard deviation of log returns formula, close to close. Um, so I realized that, well, I need to find some different measures or different formulas that will incorporate the day's range and will do at least a better job of trying to capture that trend, right? And so, um, and one of the ways that I, that I, it was more recently that I incorporated was collecting close to close data points on a higher frequency basis. So, and then annualizing that. And so what that would do is that would give me a much clearer picture of how this, of, of again, the turbulence, right? Like what's re I need to know how, how the underlying is moving and I need to be able, I, I want to be accurate. I don't want to be deluding myself. That's amazing. The granularity of time frame. People don't realize and matching it up with their actually trading time frame. Yes. It's amazing to me how many people don't do that. And like you said, mm -hmm. whether it's close to close, you're you're missing a lot of detail of that turbulence in reality and in an intraday basis. And yes. so like that's what you can do open to close, intraday. There's that's a lot exactly of high right. lows that you can do that you've incorporated that I think are great. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of talk about it, like you said, is like you don't if you're selling vol, you the way you can hedge your risk. Mm -hmm. is by knowing times not to sell vol. Yes. The other thing that you and I talk about endlessly and that the only thing that matters at the end of the day for a true risk metric is position sizing. Yes, yes, And, and yes. so I want to talk about, you know, how you construct a book. And we can think about it either top down or bottom up, mm -hmm. like position sizing individual trades, or you could think like, you know, what am I putting on the SPX? Is this a... a, a you know, selling a straddle in SPX, is this the bulk of my book? And then I'm using the, you know, smaller parts of my books maybe to buy single names. You know, kind of tell me about that structure and then the expression of trades you use. Like I'm a big proponent of the Kelly criterion. I think it is, well, let me be specific, the continuous version of Kelly, not the one that sort of gamblers use or whatever, but for continuous, the continuous adaptation. What I try to do is, so to answer your question directly, uh, probably two thirds to 70% of my portfolio is short volatility in some kind of way. Um, now, a subset of that is where Kelly comes in. So I believe that you should bet at the individual trade level and then at the bigger uh, sleeve level, um, commensurate to the edge that is available. So proportional to the edge that is available. So what I would do, it, it, and again, it depends on where I see the opportunity, right? So there are different times where different things make more sense. Um, so right now, with implied volatility being sticky and, and stubborn for some reason, um, I think there's more opportunity in the SPX options than I do there are in the ETPs or the VIX futures. Um, but it's important to have a decision matrix, right? Now, you know, again, you and I joke about this, but since I'm a one-man shop, um, I don't have the super fancy tools that a lot of our friends and peers have. So I'm doing, this takes me a while, right? I'm doing this by hand. Even if I do not a code, I'm still having to make the decision by hand. And so I have a decision matrix where I look at, okay, S I'm, I'm looking at the SPX tenors across XYZ months or whatever. And then I'm looking at the ETPs and I'm saying, okay, where is the greatest opportunity within this? Now, the thing that's changed with me lately, and, and this is really important, is as you know, I had to question myself a few years ago and say, okay, do I need to go where volatility is how we make our money and I need to go where the action is. So I started looking at these components and I realized that, wow, there's a lot more opportunity there, right? So I started incorporating that much more 
in addition to the indexes. Because when you talk about edges decaying or like that alpha decay or beta decay, I don't know if alpha exists, but that beta decay, um, part of the reason that it happens so quickly in the ETP space as opposed to other niches is because it's it's ubiquitous. Like everybody, all eyes are on VIX products, spot VIX itself and the SPX. That's what everybody talks about all day, right? But a lot of the action is happening happening underneath the hood. And so I started to say, hey, you know what? If I want to make money, like, like I need to start looking at these components and stop battling it out with all these quants and super smart people only exclusively in the SPX and be more opportunistic about the timing when I get involved, right? So one of the things you've heard me say before is, um, you know, I don't like selling convexity, but I'll sell it when the smirk turns into a smile, right? So what I'm really saying is times of turmoil and times when implied volatility has spiked and I don't have a position on, um, and the sort of, we think of the, in the equity land, we think of the smirk, right? So downside puts are bid up in vol terms and upside, Calls in, the calls of put and put as a call, but upside strikes are depressed, right? Because of call overwrite, lots of different things. Um, when that turns into a smile where both ends are bid up because overall absolute vol is bid up, then that's when I want to get active. But there's a whole lot of times where there's nothing to do, right? And when there's nothing to do, I need to be looking at Tesla. I need to be looking at GME. I need to be looking at things that maybe aren't polite, aren't, aren't are frowned upon at a cocktail party, but that's where the action is. And our first and foremost job is to make money. Real Vision subscribers can access this full Real Visionaries episode and more on our plus tier over at realvision.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.